Hello, my sweet, lovely, mycadelic children. Hello, how are you, mycadelites? <laughs> I'm back. I am back. I am back in the good old U.S. of A. <sighs> it feels good to be back. As you know, many of you have, who have been listening to this podcast, uh, long-time listeners know, I've been in the Amazon jungle for the past three months, uh, working at an ayahuasca center. Um, and what an experience that was. It was a life-changing experience. And I will be podcasting about this experience in sort of a storytelling format, uh, much like I did my first ayahuasca journey uh, in a four-part series uh, cataloging my experience down there. I met some tremendous people, amazing human beings from all over the world, guests, people that work there, staff, um, the healers. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And um, yeah, learned a tremendous amount of information uh, and gained some wisdom, I'd like to think. And uh, yeah, please uh, pay attention to that when that comes out, hopefully soon. Um, it's been interesting coming back after being away for that long and being in such a totally different culture and totally different environment, living in, in the depths of the Amazon jungle, being surrounded by people who are from all over the world coming there, seeking deep and profound healing work on the spiritual, mental, physical level, uh, working with, uh, indigenous Shipibo healers, uh, with ayahuasca and uh, then coming back into the chaos, to the madness, to the insanity of the United States with its omnipresent mass media machine pounding its fearful paradigm message. Paradigm? I didn't need to include paradigm there. <laughs> A fearful message. Uh, I was trying to really, trying to really lube up the loquacious language of uh, of Mike Delic as I do. Uh, to try and uh, give it some more oomph for you, but sometimes you go overboard on the oomph. Um, anyway, I'm not going to go too much into that, but that's where I've been. I'm back now, and um, I've already gotten into a Facebook debate and a Twitter argument, and I realized, hmm, I, I don't think I want to, to engage like this anymore and participate in this way. So I did a whole purge of my social media accounts and uh, unfollowed tons of what I consider to be toxic, uh, fear-based news and information. And I, I'm just going to be ignorant from now on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just going to choose to operate in a different mentality. I think uh, it's going to be something that's going to suit my life better and suit this podcast better. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, I should say thank you for all of you who have stuck with me during this time of uh, infrequent uploads. I think I've only uploaded about two podcasts since I've been away. Not the original plan. I did not want to do that. But circumstances being as they were, the internet in Iquitos, Peru, the city just outside of the Amazon jungle, which is the Moss Eisley spaceport, as I like to call it, jumping off point before you head into the depths of the Amazon, their internet connection is uh, not so great. Not that good. Um, but thank you to all of you loyal, supporting listeners. I want to give a huge 
huge shout out to people who have pledged for my on my Patreon account. First and foremost, uh, a massive, massive thank you to what I consider to be producers of this show. Uh, this show remains advertiser free, and I would love to keep it that way. Um, you know, I really don't want to be hawking anything. I don't want to be pushing stuff down your throats that you don't need, that you don't want, that I don't care about, you know, um, and so if I can do that, or if I could find a sponsor that's aligned with my values, which is sort of difficult to do, um, I will uh, definitely do that. But for now, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much uh, from the bottom of my heart, infinite gratitude, eternal thanks. Uh, for the people that go on to patreon.com slash Mike Brank, B-R-A-N-C, and take out those Federal Reserve notes that are just burning a hole in your pocket and catching your pants on fire and saying, my God, I just got to get rid of these Federal Reserve notes. Where can I put them? Where can I throw them to? You've thrown them in my direction, and uh, I love you all so much for that. So, of, of course, big shout out to Mason. Mason, thank you so much for your pledge and your support. I uh, hope you're doing okay, and uh, we're definitely going to chat soon. Rowan Hope, you are the hope for this show, my friend. You pledged $50 on April 25th. Thank you so much for that support. Um, that's mind-blowingly incredible, and I'm just so, like, I don't know what to say, man. I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. I, I, I love the fact, you know, there's so many podcasts out there. There's so many sources of, uh, there's so many like, you know, things that you could do and you've decided to give some of that to this show and thank you so much. So Rowan, uh, Hope, thank you very, very much for your $50 a month pledge. You are our top producer of the Mike Adelic show. So thank you so much. Please be sure to check Patreon for your rewards. Um, and uh, those will be coming soon to you. Uh, of course, feel free to message me anytime. Patreon is a is a great way. Facebook's uh, a good way to Twitter. I usually respond to people as soon as I can. Ben, uh, Ben Snashel, uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, Five dollar pledge for, for Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. Every little bit of money counts a dollar two dollars three dollars five dollars fifty dollars whatever you can do uh to support what you like to fund what you love uh is much appreciated so thank you so much uh valeria mariquin uh pledged five dollars thank you uh and i'm sorry if i'm butchering these names but thank you thank you thank you so much for your pledge um christopher carter pledged five dollars Someone named Interesting pledged five dollars. Uh, we also have Austin. Big shout out to Austin. Thank you so much, Austin. Ashley Globe. Ashley, thank you. Thank you so much for your five dollar pledge. Um, like I said, you can pledge whatever you'd like, uh, and this is just a way to, you know, keep the show going. I mean, uh, it's really because of people like you that I'm able to do this this show and. Uh, you know, as of right now, um, I'm not, Mike Adelic is not my full-time bill-paying job, uh, but I would like to make it that. And I have a lot of big things in the works to try and 
you know, get more content out there and do more things uh, to provide uh, you guys with the the stuff that you love so much. Um, you know, right now we're up to one hundred and seventy three dollars per month, uh, which is obviously not a lot of money if you're you know living in America and paying bills and eating. Um, which maybe maybe I could cut down a couple of those things. You know, maybe I don't have to live in America or eat, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, we we have um, we have a two hundred dollar goal uh, here, and when I say we, I mean me because this is my show and I do everything. No one else assists me in this. Uh, I create the website, I edit the shows, I record the shows, I reach out to people, I do it all. I do it all, p- folks. Um, but uh, over here, you know, I have a little. Um, a stated goal here, which is two hundred dollars per month, and it really what that does is it really just gives me a little wiggle room to dedicate time, effort, and energy to getting guests on, like uh, you know Thaddeus Russell and uh, J.P. Sears and John Perkins, and you know some of these more high-profile types of guests that you guys want to hear me have conversations with. Uh, you know, this really allows me the time to go ahead and. And to do those things, and it also gives me some money to buy a pop filter or extra accessories for the podcast. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but thank you so much to all of you. You are producers of this show, and um, I love you all so so very much for choosing to do that. Now that being said, you don't have to contribute anything to listen to the show. You can just listen to the show, um, and that's perfectly fine too. And, um, you know, these people that donate money make it possible for, for you guys to listen to the show for free. So, uh, you know, just um, wanna, wanted to, you know, throw that out there. Another way that you can help this show, if you love it and you love the message that uh, we're communicating here and the people that we have on, the conversations that we engage in, is going on to iTunes, uh, iTunes or going into your podcast app on your phone, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I believe they they rebranded to call themselves Apple Podcasts now. I still call it iTunes. Uh, But we currently have 95 five-star ratings and reviews uh, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. And uh, it's just uh, completely blowing my mind. So thank you so much for that. Um, There's nothing more that I love than reading a nice rating and review from somebody who seems to get value out of the show and is enjoying the show. So, um, you know, I really just want to dedicate this portion of the podcast to really expressing my gratitude and thanking you guys. Um, you know, if I could give all of you hugs and make you feel the energy that I'm feeling uh, when, I re- when I'm revitalized and inspired by these messages, I would send that energy directly to you immediately from my heart to your heart. So thank you so much. Uh, it means the world to me. This is a, a currency in, of, in and of itself. Um, and I just want to read a couple because I, I really like these, um, these reviews that people left. Uh, I'll read this one by P syndicate, uh, honest and open five stars. Mike is one of the most open and honest podcasters out there. He brings a lot of passion and personal insights to the conversation. Mike's podcast style is fresh and free thinking. Mike questions everything, including his own beliefs. Thank you very much. Um, Legalize LSD says, legalize LSD. Love your work. Keep it going. You help people. Um, Sidekick 48 says, 
awesome and educational. One of the most informative podcasts available. Great guests, and of course, being a fan of Cognitive Liberty, no better source of info available in a smart and educational manner. Uh, Audi3001 says, super stoked on these podcasts. I don't feel so alone. Actually, exclamation point. So it says, I don't feel so alone. Yes, uh, we are not alone. We are all together. We are here. So thank you to everybody again for that. Now, if you're new to the show, yeah, that's a simple way that you can go ahead and, and help us out. Uh, it'd be really great if you could do that or not. You know, you're free to make your own choices. Um, and uh, anyway, if you don't want to do any of those things, just enjoy the show. If you get value from it, tell people, talk about it and share it. Um, you know, this, this uh, past year has been really good for the show. I think every this show has been around for two years now. I first started the show off doing it once a month, and then I moved to doing it once every two weeks. And so since I've been, I've been sort of doing it two years now, I haven't really been fully, this past year is really when I kind of fully committed to it after I left my previous show, Part of the Problem with comedian Dave Smith. Um, <clears throat> and now I want to even ramp it up even more. Uh, so I'm going to be working extra hard to really give Mike Adelic the full multimedia, massive content uh, push that uh, that you guys deserve. And um, I couldn't do it without you. Well, thank you so much. And uh, that leads me to introducing our guest today. Our guest is uh, a friend of mine who uh, I met at the Temple of the Way of Light, where I was working for the past three months, um, Jason Grichanik. He is a facilitator there at the temple. He's also a tabacero, uh, a curandero. He works with the master plant known as tobacco. Ooh, tobacco, scary, right? Um, yes, we are led to believe that in the West, but tobacco, tobacco is widely considered and has been widely considered for a very long period of time uh, to be, you know, especially for the indigenous people. Uh, of the Americas, of North and South America, a sacred plant, a master plant, a, a plant that really uh, complements other master plants like ayahuasca. Tobacco is also called mapacho in the Amazon. Mapacho is what you smoke, and it's used in a ceremonial space, used in a ceremonial space to help clear energies of the room, uh, to help you know, ground people to bring people back to center. Uh, there are many, many uses for tobacco. Tobacco is also used as a snuff, as a powder. Um, some people call it hape or rape. Um, in the Colombian uh, tradition of the taboo nation, they call it morandi. Uh, but tobacco has been uh, seen as a very, very sacred plant, uh, a master plant. Uh, for for from a long long time, and you know um, it, it's really been vilified and demonized here in the West, and not only that, but it's been manipulated and chemically altered. And so you know we hear a lot of of people that you know we hear all this information about uh, cigarettes and cancer and people dying, and you know this is all terrible. When the truth is really that these Western commercial cigarettes are not the pure tobacco from the plant, you know, the they're usually uh, 
you know, there's usually tons and tons of chemicals. I think it's something like 7,000 different chemicals that you would never want to put in your body um, are in these uh, cigarettes. And that is, is the problem. But when, when it's smoked in a ceremonial way to clear energies and to clear space and using it a, in a pipe or as a, as a mapacho, um, it, it has a healing property to it. It has a, a, a visionary property to it if you, if you drink it. And you know I'm not going to go on about this for too much because Jason is really the expert in this. Jason's experience is in, is in ayahuasca, is in tobacco. He's a very wise uh, person. I, I, I call him uh, a modern-day Miyagi. He's like a Mr. Miyagi. He's very centered. He's very, um, he's very wise. He's very poised. And um, I really enjoyed working with him. I really enjoyed hanging out with him and chatting with him. And I really enjoyed this conversation. You know, it was really interesting. When I first met Jason, we were, uh, there was a new retreat that was coming in, and I had just uh, started working with him. And um, he mentioned that he listened to one of my favorite people, one of my favorite shows, the Tom Woods show. So immediately right then and there, I knew, well, this guy is somebody that I think I'm going to get along with. This guy is somebody that I know uh, is, is definitely has some good uh, knowledge and, and some good things to say. And, and boy, was I right. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I know this intro has been uh, a little bit long. And I apologize for that, but uh, I am back. I have returned. Uh, I wanted to thank all the people that contributed to this show and to keep it going. And without further ado, let's just get right into the conversation. You can find out all the uh, info about Jason in the uh, section of the of the podcast where the, the show notes are and everything. You'll have links to his website if you want to find out more information, links to the temple, templeofthewayoflight.org. And then his website, nicotinarustica.org. I'll put all those links will be available for you in, uh, in the show notes below podcast, wherever you're listening to it, you can access it there. Thank you so much, everybody. Again, I can't say thank you enough, or maybe I can to wrap this up. Um, but yeah, I'm just thrilled to be back. I have so much to say, um, and I'm going to record four episodes cataloging my experience and talking about my trip. And I really, really can't wait to share that with all of you. Um, I know it's going to be uh, really great for me to do, therapeutic for me to do, definitely help with my integration process and whatnot. But anyway, like I said, because I can go on, I have so much to say, I have so much to talk about, but now's not the time. Now is the time to hop into this conversation with Jason. And I hope you all have a wonderful day. Enjoy. Talk to you soon. Psychedelics are illegal, not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. 
Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to a new episode. I'm sitting here in lovely Iquitos, Peru. This beautiful, crazy place with a good buddy of mine, Mr. Jason. Can't pronounce his last name, but we'll just call him Jason Tobacco Master, uh, facilitator extraordinaire from the Temple of the Way of Light. Maybe, maybe uh, you could pronounce your your last name for uh, for the audience. Uh, Jason Grichanik, kind of a, a strange one. So where, where does that come from? What, where, where are your roots, your ancestry? Uh, it's kind of a long story, but I, I was born in Sri Lanka quite randomly. Uh, grew up in the States, American parents. But the, the name is, I believe it's like Belarusian, Ukrainian, Polish, that area. It comes from, I think, buckwheat means one who makes the buckwheat <laughs> <laughs> so you're born you're born in sri lanka and then raised in the states um now you're here and you've been living in the jungle for what five six years has has there always been this like call to to nature to work with plants or to be involved in something like this or how did this sort of manifest in in your life yeah that's that's a good question um so yeah, uh, yeah. I was born in Sri Lanka. It was really, really kind of random. I, I had hippie parents, so that's that's why I was born there. And I, I guess they they told me they found it preferable to Indian hospitals, the Sri Lankan ones. So uh, it was it was pretty random. But I grew up mostly in the states and in Virginia, which you know, kind of kind of this area of, of central Virginia near the Appalachian is where my grandparents lived, and I spent a lot of time there. And it's very much woods, you know, here, here people talk about La Selva, the jungle, um, but even there, you know, in the Appalachian, it's, it's, uh, it's forest, it's a dense forest, and it's, I, I always felt very much at home there. And even things, you know, as a Boy Scout, and I grew up hiking and camping and just spending, spending time after school just playing in the woods. So I think when I was younger, there wasn't a, a conscious thought process of I'm interested in plants, but but it was always there. Um, and I think it, it was really, I, I've told this story before, but it was, I think the first time I went to India, I, uh, and this sounds kind of silly, but I, I remember looking at a cow and, you know, the cow is very sacred in India and I, and they don't eat it. And I just remember kind of looking in this cow's eyes and thinking like, yeah, this is a, this is a living, intelligent being. And so I stopped eating cow, and then I stopped eating other meat, and then I started realizing, you know, I was eating all of these plants, and what were these plants doing? So I think that's where it really started, was, was this questioning of, of plants, and then realizing that plants are not just food, but that they're a medicine, and, and how to heal through that, and that got me interested in things like Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, herbalism, um, and eventually... This idea, this this thing of ayahuasca came up, uh, which people call it uni, which I think is a really beautiful name, meaning knowledge or the the joining of of the duality of the masculine and the feminine, and a, a real wisdom. And, and there was something about that that really appealed to me. So I think I kind of resisted it for a while. I I was very much in the mindset that you know everything that we need or or looking for is ultimately inside us, and and that I I was kind of resistant to to taking something outside of myself to to define who I truly was. 
but it just kept coming up and it, in this in this way at the time which I think I didn't really understand but but as I've opened a lot to this work it makes a lot more sense to me um, and often you hear this idea that that ayahuasca or these plants call us that it's not us who choose to work with them but there's there's kind of this mutual symbiotic relationship and I think a lot of people experience that this calling to to work with them and I didn't know exactly why or what the capacity was but I I ended up coming down to Peru, and through a, a series of coincidences, I ended up uh, here here at the temple. Uh, you know, strange name for a place, but uh, something about it really, really drew me. And I came for a workshop and was just really blown away. I think it it, it opened me to to how I envisioned the world could be, but I had never perhaps experienced it experientially like that before, this, this different possibility of, of viewing life. And uh, yeah, the, the owner of the temple happened to be still facilitating at that time, running the workshops, and they, they were looking to start a, a center where people could come more long-term, which is what, what we call the Deep Immersion Program now. It's 23 days. So they were looking for some people to help run that uh, teaching. So they, whatever reason, they thought I'd be a good fit. Um, I often joke it was just because I think I sat still the entire experience. I didn't scream or, or lose my shit. But um, that's really what started it. And that, that brought me back down. And, and then that just led to a, to a path of really deepening my knowledge and just experientially of working with with a lot of different plants uh, amongst which tobacco was one of them yeah so you mentioned like this call and like i've i felt that too like that was sort of my my journey and then i i also had this idea in my mind that like well i'm experiencing like depression and there's some things in my life that weren't going so well and some habits maybe that i wanted to clean up and i heard that ayahuasca uni can really provide some clarity to kind of, you know, this quote was circulating, circulating around my mind from Viktor Frankl's book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning, where he says, like, once we have clarity of vision over what's ailing us, it no longer holds power over us. And I thought, well, if, if what people are saying about this is true, then maybe that could help me and I can gain some clarity over what's really bugging me. So I came down for, for some healing. I got a whole lot more than just some healing. And that's brought me back. Were you coming down for any particular healing with yourself, or did you just discover something that you found that that needed some some integration, some work, something like that? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, a, a lot of people come to this work for different reasons. Um, you know, I, I think everyone realizes at, at some deep level that something is is not quite right. You know, it's just it can be this very almost normal sense of numbness or a sense that my life isn't whole or my life isn't complete or just something seems off. Um, it can be really deep traumas, you know, very obvious things where you can really put your finger on it, some deep-seated childhood trauma or some post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, addictions. These are really common reasons for coming down. Uh, with me, it was more just a really deep-seated curiosity into this work. I found myself doing this work more, working with plants, and, and this seemed like kind of a missing link and something I really wanted to explore. Uh, within that, certainly, one has to look at one's life. And, and that, in that first experience of working with ayahuasca, that really came up with me. 
um, just you know seeing my life from from other perspectives, you know seeing my life through my father's shoes or from my mother's or um, yeah, yeah, and there's a tremendous amount of healing that arises from that because we we are often very attached to our stories, our stories of our paths, and we we give it a tremendous importance. And it's a huge weight that bears on us, all of these stories that we constantly tell ourselves. And, and it's ultimately this victimization. And, and it's not our fault. It's, it's how, how the human is conditioned to believe the story of who they are. And when, when we're able to see things from a different perspective, a tremendous healing can arise from that. Because ultimately it's a it's a deep compassion and a deep understanding of seeing things from another way. And when we see things from another way, it begins to lose its, its significance. It begins to lose its weight, uh, almost like this heavy bag, you know, this baggage. We use that word in English. It was weighing on us so much, we're, we're for the first time able to set it down to see what it feels like to not be carrying that around. And ultimately, it feels good. Um, and it's not a, you know, it's not a completion. It's not that that bag is, is forever more off of us. You know, it's still a constant process. It's a constant examination, a moment by moment looking at these things. But the, these plants, these plants that we call master plants, like ayahuasca, tobacco, um, they have that ability to really, to really open us to a new way of, of looking, which brings about a tremendous amount of healing. Um, because it's it's literally looking at life from a different way, from a way that's perhaps closer to the truth of who we are. I really like this idea in in some meditation techniques. You hear this idea of vipassana, which often translates to seeing things how they actually are. And I think that's very much in line with this work: is seeing things how they actually are, rather than the lens that we constantly see things through. Um, and that gets us out of the way. And by getting us out of the way, it gets that story out of the way. And it, it allows us to, to be more whole, to be what we're all looking for, which is more at peace, you know, somehow connected, connected to, to something bigger, uh, getting away from the sense of being alone, of being separate. Um, and that's a, that's a, it's an unimaginable healing. Yeah, it's like, you know, these lenses we have where we see the world through you know oftentimes i feel like maybe people can get caught up in well you know you can't solve the world's problems but you can solve yours but what good is that right it's like oh i just you know if i fix myself the world's still out there society is still out there governments are still out there religions corporations these entities and structures are still there so how can I change that just by changing myself? But I think there's a lot of power in, in doing that. And these lenses, they form over our own eyes, but they also form over the collective of eyes of the society and the, the culture in which we exist in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's been said so many times in so many different ways. You, you know, it's often been attributed to Lao Tzu or the Buddha, but they, they have these similar ideas of, yeah, if we want to change the world, we have to change ourselves, And that that's actually the only way. There's a, there's a really beautiful Indian sage, uh, Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj. And he, there's this story where this woman comes to him and she's like, you know, well, I hear what you're saying. I, I understand it intellectually, but 
you know, there's still something that's missing because in my world, even with all this nice fluffy stuff, you know, there's still suffering and people dying and unhappiness. And he listens to her and he says, you know, I hear that. I understand that. But that exists in your world. In my reality, none of that exists. A lot of people, when they hear that, that's very almost confrontational. But I think what he's pointing to is a really deep-seated truth, which is that, you know, all of these things in the world that we see, that we manifest, it ties into a story. We label things good or bad, or this person's suffering, or they're not suffering, or this person's happy. And one of the things, you know, working with, with thousands of people now is there's nobody who's not suffering. You know, you could be the CEO of a corporation, have a great family, have all the money in the world, and yet you're still subject to the human condition. You're still going through the same things. Um, and, and it's a huge thing. And, and ultimately, the only way to change the world is to change yourself. It's, it's something that really, I think, becomes apparent when we work with these plants, is that when we, when we let go of these stories, when we let go of these traumas, these cycles that have been passed down to us, because we are, we're all products of our past, of our, of our parents, of the way we're raised, of the lens that we see the world through. But when we stop that, when we, and it's not that we ignore it, but when we really go into it and we really see the story for what it is, which is ultimately a perception, and when we see that very often the exact opposite is just as true, and when we really look into that, when we really go into it and we see its truth, we have the ability to let it go. And when we let it go, it literally can and does change the world because that story no longer exists. It no longer exists in us. And therefore, it no longer exists in how we interact with the world. And so by doing this work on ourselves, we inevitably end up changing the world because we do change ourselves. You know, it's very difficult to change society. It's very difficult to change other people. I think we could even go as far to say it's impossible. It's literally impossible. The only thing we can start, the only thing we can change is ourselves. And when we change ourselves, that ripple effect is tremendous. There's an amazing quote in the, in the Tao Te Ching which says, let go of the common good and the good becomes as common as grass. If we're always trying to, to, to change or to, to fix the common good, then we never actually start in the one place we can, which is with us. And when we do that on ourselves, the good flows out of us. It becomes as common as grass. And uh, yeah. I think this is why these ideas are viewed as sort of dangerous or these practices, right? Like, it seems like governments, religions, these sort of entities that I label as the, the power structures, uh, the hierarchies in our society, like they want to mitigate and mediate our relationship with direct experience to what our truth is. Because if they can do that, then they can put a wedge in between and, and they can deliver us a version of reality that fits their agenda, you know, and their, and their interests. And, and that's a, a lot of people have easily sort of subscribe to that i think because it's comforting and it's easy to have somebody kind of take over and, and shepherd their systems yeah it's 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 a really good point and you know there's certainly a truth to that that, that there are there are structures in place that that hinder our ability to do that but also i think it's important to remember that those structures that are in place are themselves people they're individuals 
And certainly some of these things may be in place with bad intentions, but a lot of these are in place comprising of individuals with really good intentions. It's just that their intention is in alignment with how things actually work. And it's like that saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I, I can have the best intention, but if it's not in alignment with how things actually are, then the, the bad that it does can be magnified many, many fold. Um, and so, again, you know, I think a lot of this work really comes back to personal responsibility as well, because as long as we're putting this, these structures that are out there that are hindering us, they will hinder us. It's inevitable because we believe that they're hindering us. But when we take that power back and we say, well, where can I change this from? And I change it from myself. And when I change it from inside, then I actually have a tremendous power to go out and to affect change. But I'm affecting it from a place of truth, of compassion, of, of, of a deep understanding of how these things actually work. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of examples of that. You know, we're 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 sitting here in the Amazon, and people come down with the best of intentions. You know, a really common one is the Earth is suffering. What they're actually saying is, I'm suffering. You know, I'm suffering because I believe the Earth is suffering. And so, even with that good intention, because they're suffering, they want to, you know, maybe do something like support an organization that conserves land. And that sounds really good, right? Who wouldn't support that? But the problem is then they often kick the people who are living there off the land, you know, the, the very people who were living on the land, caring for it. And I think what, what you're finding is that actually there's a symbiotic relationship between people and land, and actually the land in a way suffers when people aren't there. Um, all of these medicinal plants, for example, they're planted by human beings. There, there's a cultivation that, that, that's, that's working between the two. And I think there's a lot, of, a lot of insight and a lot of study now that shows when you have people consciously living on that land, there's a, a more beneficial symbiotic relationship. And if you kick those people off, then what happens, even with your good intentions, then there's no one looking after it. So then the oil companies can come in, the mining companies can come in. There's nobody that has a vested interest in maintaining that land. And so again, you know, even with all of the good intentions, with our belief systems of I'm doing good, it can have the exact opposite impact. So yeah, it's, it's, it's vital that we go in and, and really find out, you know, are these things true? Are they not true? What, what is true with inside me? What is, what is in harmony? Because if we don't and we're just coming from a, a, an idea, a belief, someone tells us, oh, this is how it is, this is what's good. Could be coming from a nefarious place, you know. It could be that, that that organization is funded by an oil company, you know, putting out this propaganda. It could be that it's funded by people with very good intentions, and they think they're doing the best. Um, but you know, and and we've had some of these discussions before. But I think a lot of this work it very much leads to a, a certain way of of looking at or thinking of the world which is much more in alignment with how things actually are. You know, trusting in nature rather than fighting it. Trusting in our own nature rather than fighting it. A lot of these things, these, these societies, these, you know, bodies or organizations that, that you're talking about, they're rooted in this idea of fear. They're rooted in this idea that we need to look after you. 
and the people themselves, there's an idea rooted in fear that we need to be looked after, that we can't do things on our own, that we don't have that capacity. It's one of the main reasons why people come down to the Amazon to experience healing from these plants. Because they've been told they can't look after themselves. They've been told that, you know, by a medical system that there perhaps is no cure for their, their illness. Uh, that it's something beyond their control. And I think deep down inside, that's not resonating with people. They believed it for a long time, but something inside them is saying, wait, maybe there is another way. Maybe there is a way to take back control of your life. Because if, if you can't heal yourself, who can? You know, if you can't change the world, who can? Uh, so there, there's, a, there's a huge aspect of empowerment in this work. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a really important part of this work. That's definitely been a main theme for me during this three-month residency program, like taking on more responsibility, personal responsibility. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I realized, and we had this conversation, like, and people who listen to this show know my stance and how I'm, you know, uh, my libertarian ways. I mean, the, the show's sort of slug line is liberty, psychedelic, self-improvement, right? But even, my, even myself, I had fallen into this sort of victim mentality. I'm a victim of the state. I'm a victim of this oppression, projecting this, this sort of, you know, uh, belief system that, uh, that, I, that I'm suffering and that I'm, it's sort of out of my control because these entities are so large. But I realized that like, I, have, I have a choice and that I can really walk the path that I want to walk and put these ideas, put what I'm learning, put what I'm preaching into practice for real, not just paying them lip service. And I think you know, when, when I do that, I'm starting to do that. And it's like, there's, it's a little scary you know, because it's like, holy shit, it's all on me. You know? But when, once I start you know, walking in that direction, I'm realizing the power. Like uh, someone had said, with great power comes great responsibility. And then I read this book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. He says, with, great respons- with responsibility comes great power. I thought that was really interesting to kind of flip that on its head. And, and it makes so much sense, you know? And so when I, when I was down here and, you know, I, I, I talked about how, like the first time I, I saw you and then when we had a workshop together and we were working, I discovered <clears throat> you're listening to the Tom Wood Show. So shout out to Tom if he's out there listening. And uh, Tom's a great guy. I, I, I know him and, and, and he's, uh, he's a wonderful human being. And, you know, he's somebody that, that puts his beliefs into practice. And it's interesting, you know, because here we are in Iquitos and living in the Amazon rainforest and taking something that maybe someone in that, um, you know, that sort of button-down sort of conservative uh, Christian mentality would, would think, well, these are substances or drugs, you know, and I, I don't think Tom's ever t- touched a, a cigarette before, let alone a joint, right? And Ron Paul, the same thing, you know, he's this Texas, like, Christian, you know, but there's so much value in, in, in that perspective. And I think this work meshes well with that belief system, with the libertarian belief system. And, and, you know, I actually regret saying belief system. I just think it's uh, more of a moral principle or an ethical sort of model of behavior uh, that really functions on personal responsibility. And, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about that and what, what led you to, to, 
to opening yourself up to, to liberty. I think it's pretty obvious to me when you're engaging in work at this level with, with master plants and having direct experiences that are empowering you to take on more, more responsibility, that it's almost inevitable that these ideas come into alignment with each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, but yeah, I think really, you know, really acute observations and, um, you know, absolutely. Any, any belief system is ultimately going to limit us. But that's not to say certain paths don't lend themselves or are more beneficial or more in alignment with things that can be beneficial. As I was saying earlier, that was one of, I think, my initial resistance to working with a plant like ayahuasca is because I, I still viewed it in the sense that it was a drug. It was something that was outside of myself that I was having to take to somehow open me up. And that seemed a little strange. I was like, well, why can't I just open myself up on my own? Um, but there, there's also, there's kind of a, a misconception with that. You know, even a plant like ayahuasca is, I think, very fascinating because usually the, the alkaloid that, that's usually referred to when we're talking about ayahuasca is DMT or dimethyltryptamine. And dimethyltryptamine is a, it's an alkaloid that's actually endogenous to our own body. So we're all walking illegal substances. We produce DMT. Every night when we go to sleep, we are producing DMT. DMT is actually very much the, the substance which brings on sleep. It's what's changing us. You know, every night we're going into an altered state of consciousness. We just call it dreams, so we brush it aside as if it's nothing, because we do it eight hours every single day. So, you know, like anything, when you give it a name and it's so common, you stop thinking about it, you stop thinking about the implications. We're all going into an extremely altered state of consciousness a third of our lives every single day. Ayahuasca really isn't any different than that. The thing with... with our dream state is that most of us, we don't recollect it. We're, we're aware of it when it's happening, but when we wake up the following morning, we, we may remember a glimpse of it or something, but the depth, those, those eight hours or so that we're in that state, we don't remember much of that, if anything. You know, some people actually believe they, they don't dream, which actually isn't true. It's just they don't remember their dreams. Um, so, you know, this idea that that something is a drug and that's bad is, is understandable, but it's misplaced because these are actually things that we produce ourselves and we have receptors in our brains that are designed to intake them. And that's actually a huge, that's a huge revelation that, that I think a lot of times we don't really place the significance on, which is that our brain already has these receptors in them. You know, we symbiotically evolved with these plants. It's not that we take a substance and a, re a receptor is born from that. It's that they were already there, which means, in a sense, they're waiting to take on these things. Um, and, you know, that can really go down a, a huge rabbit hole. But I think, again, if you look into to civilizations all throughout time, this plant work was an inevitable, it was a, a, a fundamental part of of who they were you know I, I often don't like this word spirituality because it has a lot of a lot of connotations but you know i think if if one is to really look into it this plant medicine is is very highly likely the basis of all religion the if you look at soma 
in the Vedas or Hauma in Zoroastrianism, um, all throughout the Americas, all the religions, so many different plants. Uh, you know, the Elysian rites in Greece and, and Delphi and all of these things, they were describing experiences where they, they took a period of their life and they, they went into a cave or into a rite or a ritual and they took on some substance and they were reborn from that. It changed their lives. It changed the fundamental experience of their lives and, and for the good. All of these people, Pythagoras and Marcus Aurelius, these, these people who we hold with such esteem, they were doing this work. Um, and again, I think if you look at, at the essence of what all of these people were teaching, it was this, in a, in a modern way, in a modern context of looking at it, it was an idea of liberty. It was an idea of freedom. That's why one would work with these plants, to be free, to, to really be able to live life without these things that are holding us down, without the suffering, without the, the fears, the anxieties, the worries, the, the preconceptions, the beliefs, to, to truly be able to live as a free human being, free in the mind, free to truly experience the world. Um, and that's very much what these ideas of, of libertarianism are about. And of course, you know, even, even the word libertarianism, it has a lot of different connotations. A lot of people are going to have different views of what that is. But, you know, for me at its essence, it's just this idea, this golden rule, this live and let live, you know, do unto others as you would have done to yourselves. Um, but again, it's, it's very difficult to live that way. It sounds very easy, but when you actually start to put it into practice, a lot of fear arises. This fear that, oh my God, what would happen if we just allowed things to be as they are? Because we look into nature and we're scared. You know, you look into the jungle and we're scared. You know, it's dark. It's full of overgrowth. It's full of insects. It's full of jaguars. It's full of snakes. And how could we possibly live in that environment? And yet people do, and they're not afraid of it. They're not afraid of it, but they have respect for it. They, they respect it, and they live in harmony with it. But once that harmony becomes out of balance, once the respect is lost, that's when things start to break down. And you know, all of these structures that we've created for ourselves, which were there to make us feel better, these support structures and these belief systems. Again, I, I think at their essence, they were started with good intentions, but they've created a cage that we live in. And even with the best intentions, we suffer because of it. And who can find his way out? Myself. That's it. And yourself, and his self, and herself, and their selves. It, it has to start with us. We're the only person who can save ourselves. And amazingly, we've been given these tools. We've been given these, these tools of these plants that come from traditions that who knows how old are. And, and I think also to really recognize the gift in that, that these people have been holding on to these traditions. Many of them have lost everything. You know, in the Amazon, they've lost everything. There used to be this theory that the Amazon was just, you know, this pristine rainforest and it was just full of these really primitive hunter-gatherer people. And that's actually kind of a defunct theory now. The, the predominant prevalent theory is that actually at one time, the Amazon was full of huge civilizations, millions of people, quite advanced, more advanced than the Europeans who came at the time in terms of the cities. 
And when those collapse, they, they believe through, through disease, 90 to 99% of the people died, and the people did flee into the jungle. One of the very few things that they kept was this tradition of plants. That's how much importance they put into it. And I think to ignore that wisdom and to ignore that wisdom of, of, of these traditions all over the world throughout time would be silly and potentially even dangerous. And I think we're seeing the repercussions of having ignored these things for so long. You know, we, we hear about you know, climate destruction and climate change and diseases, these psychological diseases that are on the rise. We've done an amazing job at, at, at curing many acute physical ailments, but these psychological conditions, depressions, anxieties, uh, things that have psychosomatic repercussions, things like even cancer, uh, neurological diseases, um, they're still there. And I, I, would, I would say, if anything, they're increasing. And, and it comes from this moving away from symbiosis, moving away from harmony, moving away from nature, moving away from natural law. And, and I think that's what, what this liberty movement is really about. It's going back to that. And it scares people. You know, people often come with these same arguments about why it's so bad. You know, well, you have to have support structures. You have to have this. And it's not that you can't, but that this, the real support structures, they start with ourselves and they emanate out from that. So your family, that's a huge support structure. Your community, the people around you, nobody is going to be, offer, be able to offer support like that. You know, uh, here in the jungle, you know, people are often looking to Lima, the capital of Peru, which is, you know, thousands of kilometers away for support. And yet they're never going to get support from Lima because Lima doesn't care about them. And that's the truth. Um, that's why a lot of these people are being exploited, because they've also put their power outside of themselves. And I think even here, there's a growing movement of actually taking that power back realizing that even through all of the horrors that have been done to these people, the way out of change is taking back that power, and it starts with the self. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so many amazing things there. You know, I agree 100%, and it's like, you know, I, I like this idea that, that Jordan Peterson talks about. He constantly is bringing up this, this notion of chaos and order and chaos and order, and <clears throat> I've listened to a lot of his talks, and I've read his recent book, um, 12 Rules for Life, and you know, you touched on something there, which is like, you know, we are sort of afraid of this chaos, this, this wild nature, our wild nature, our creatureliness, which a uh, great book, The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker talks about, like, you know, we're these amazing beings, we have the capacity to ponder the infinite, yet we're housed in this breath-gasping, decaying dying body that will ultimately be food for worms so it's this like it creates this sort of suffering inside of us which can manifest unconsciously for us to sort of overcome that to try and live on forever to be immortal through creating more control more order and and i see that as as just a natural tendency for human beings to want to put things in boxes to want to solve problems with good intentions or for nefarious purposes, either or. It's like if we can just turn the natural world into something that works for us, that we think works for us, 
but out of creating this 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 order, and I think this is where the situation we're in today with all of the stuff that's going on in the U.S. and around the world. I mean, you see in like Spain with Catalonia, and um, you know, even in the U.S. I read the other day California is going to vote for uh, like a secession movement to split into three different states. Um, not secession from the federal government, but that would be good too. And I think ultimately, and you touched on that, it's, it's like, look, you know, Lima doesn't care about Quitos in the jungle. It's really up to the people who live in this community to voluntarily agree upon what's important by, you know, taking on that responsibility, empowering themselves. So, you know, this is a huge, huge theme. Like, you know, how how does that feel for you? Like, does that resonate with you, this idea of, of fear and the chaos and, and the order that is being created? And you, I imagine that you'd have to, you know, you're someone that practices what you preach and, and you've walked this path. How do you manage to create that balance between the, the finite, the infinite, the creative, the destructive, you know, the, the, the chaos and the order? How, how do you do that in, in your life? One of the most common things that, that people that arises with people through this this work with ayahuasca or, or tobacco or any of these master plants is fear, and it's really hard for people to admit that they have fear. And you know, I'll often tell people, you know, show me a man who's not afraid, who says he doesn't have fear, and I'll show you a liar. <laughs> Everyone has fear, as long as you're still identified with yourself, with your body, with the sense of I. There's fear there because there's still this idea of separation. And, you know, when, uh, <laughs> I don't know if funny is the right word, but, you know, one thing that often comes up in ayahuasca work is someone will have a really big revelation. You know, they'll, they'll experience a death-like experience in ceremony, which is actually one of the names of ayahuasca, which is vine of the dead. And it can be a fairly common thing. And people then have this sense of like, oh, I'm not afraid of death anymore. As long as you're saying you're not afraid of death, you're still afraid. <laughs> uh, because again, there's still this attachment to the self. And that's ultimately where all fear arises from, from this idea that I exist. I exist separate from the world. And what happens when I don't exist anymore? For most people, they think that means when they die, when they literally die, when the body no longer breathes, when the heart start, stops pumping, then what happens? And the mind is never going to know that. It cannot know that. It can't know it. It's like, a, it's like a knife trying to cut itself. It's never going to figure it out. It's never going to you know, point to something and say, oh, here it is. I found it. I understand it. I understand death or I understand God. And here it is in this one word or this one sentence. If it was, someone would have written it down by now. And everyone would see it, understand it, and everyone would be at peace. But people aren't. Uh, and that's the idea of chaos, right? Is it is very scary because the mind can never understand it. And that's why we put our trust in these, these systems, these governments, or these religions, these beliefs that seemingly offer us some sort of hope, some sort of salvation, some sort of peace. Is this this idea that actually I am okay, I don't really need to think about this, I can just kind of ignore it. And, you know, when I die, it will all go away. And there's actually a truth to that. You know, when we do die, why not? 
that we return to who we actually are? Why not that we return to peace? Why would it be anything else? But is that something that can be known? And will it be known in the future at some imaginary point where we do die? You know, the only time we can investigate these things, the only time we can really look into these things is now, is in this moment, when these things arise. And fear does arise. It arises all the time. It might not arise how we think it does, but it's always there. It arises as anger. It arises as suffering. It arises as anxiety. It arises as, as a lack of connection. It, it arises as anything anything at all that again pulls us out of i think the the natural peace and harmony that's inherent to who we are and we're all we're all walking through that you know everyone in this earth is walking through that and so often what we try and do is we try and somehow make sense of it we try and intellectually make sense of it and there 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 can be benefit to that to really pondering these things looking into them one of the powers of these plants, like ayahuasca, tobacco, is it experientially puts us inside of ourselves. And that can be a very scary place. You know, a lot of these plants, one of their qualities is they really debilitate our bodies so that our bodies can't move, they can't run, they can't do one of these things that we're usually accustomed to doing, which is escaping. Whether that's physically running away from a problem or just through the mind doing something else, distracting ourselves, not going into it fully. And with ayahuasca, with these plants, we can't do that. We're in a way forced to go inside of ourselves to see the state that we're always in, to see inside of ourselves, to see how our mind actually works. And in a sense, we're forced. That word isn't completely true because we, we, we willingly choose to do this work. But in that moment, there's often no escape. And that can be very terrifying. And it's not that ayahuasca is doing it. It's not that tobacco is doing it. It's that it's taking down the barrier, the lens, that often just doesn't allow us to really see that. It's showing us what's actually going on inside. One of the most common things that happens is, you know, someone will call me over during ceremony, super scared, and be like, Jason, am I going crazy? <laughs> and, you know, my trickster side would want to say, yeah, yeah, you know, you actually are. Uh, but it's the opposite. They're, they're, they're seeing the craziness that's inherent within them, and that's really scary. That's really scary to see how our mind actually works on a day-to-day -day basis, because it is. It's chaotic. And our natural desire is to want to bring order. Because when we bring order to something, we think we understand it. We think we controlled it. We can compartmentalize it. We all do that. We go out to a bar and we meet someone. Hey, what's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? Uh, you know, what do you like? And through all of these answers, we begin to form a, a box around this person. Or you could even say a cage around the person. You think that you know who this person is, and it brings you comfort because there's a there's a seemingly there's an aspect of understanding them. But again, ultimately, that understanding can also be a barrier because you're not seeing the person as they actually are. You're seeing 
these labels that you're thinking about from the past. So I, I meet you, Mike, you know, in a bar. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's your name? Mike. Okay. What's your last name? Roncatelli. Ah, so you're Italian. Therefore, you are like this, this, and this. How do I know that? Because in the past, I've met people who are like that. Therefore, you must also be like this. What do you, what's your political affiliation? Oh, you're libertarian. Okay, therefore, you are like this, this, and this. It makes the mind able to think that it understands something. It makes it think that it can create order out of the chaos. But it's a mask. It's false. It's not actually creating order. It's just seemingly organizing things. But the chaos is still there. Chaos never goes away. And we think, because of our fear, that the chaos is dark, that it's fearful, that there's terror in there that there's a great void, there's a great nothingness. And in that nothingness, it's the most scary place because the mind has no idea. And the mind will fight that tooth and nail because it is the death of the mind. And yet, what's beyond that? And that's what this work is trying to get at. What is beyond that? And it can be very, very scary to go in there, terrifying. But I think what we begin to see when we actually go into that is through the terror, through the fear, we begin to see that actually it's the opposite. That the fear was just the mind trying to organize the chaos, but that actually the chaos was never fearful in the first place. It was never malevolent in the first place. It was always benevolent. It was always peace. And people have these near-death experiences, and what do they often experience? A sense of light, a sense of peace. They often had to go through the fear to actually arrive to experience that. Um, so yeah, you know, a guy like Jordan Peterson, I, I think he, he's doing amazing work, and he's very much pointing to these things. Personal responsibility, clean up your room. Everyone likes to give an opinion on, you know, how the world should be, how it needs to be. But what are they doing with themselves? Are they even cleaning up their own room? You know, most people who want to give these opinions and have tell other people what they should be doing, they're often ignoring the very person they need to start with, which is themselves. If I have a clean room, then maybe I can help someone else have a clean room. But if my room is messy, who am I to tell someone else that their life is messy? Yeah, right on, man. It it sounds so simple too, almost like too simple. Where you're like, okay, yeah, right. Like that's what I have to do. Just clean my room or get myself in order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Like, but it's true. I mean, it's so what if it's simple? So what if it's cliche? It's true. It that it's that way for a reason. And I think that we're living in a really interesting time right now. Um, There's been no other time that I know of, or that history has. unveiled to us that we have this power to get on a microphone and talk and I can push a button and it goes out to however many people and all over the world and we have this ability to connect and see each other you know and then combine that with like the resurgence of this sort of new psychedelic renaissance that's happening and more and more people from all around the world coming down to do this deep personal work with plant medicines. I mean, this last group we had, we had people from Vietnam and people from India and people from the UK and Canada and and Australia and everywhere. And it's just like, you know, what I said in that last group share was like, look, like this is a a perfect manifestation of, of the, 
of, of what can happen on a larger scale, you know, put everything aside and just see for what, what we're really going through. We see each other at a deep level through that, you know, all these sorts of constructs and ideologies and things that we grab onto, they don't really exist. What exists is this community of people who are willing participants and contributing to something that's ultimately for the greater good, but also at the same time empowering the self and by empowering the self contributes to the greater good. And it's amazing that still people will leave with these belief systems of the patriarchy and these belief systems of, you know, Marxism is the way to go or socialism or Bernie Sanders or, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin, whatever, whatever it may be. And, you know, I just, I see this sort of, in this great time for potential change, for people to really wake up to what the truth really is and for us to see each other for what we really are. It's amazing that we have, we, we, there is a common ground if we can just get through all these barriers, you know? And so one of the things that, we, that, that was coming up a lot, and I think we're touching on it with this chaos and order thing because it's the masculine, the feminine, that sort of, that, that energy. And there's a lot of this notion that like it's mother ayahuasca and there's, it's the feminine spirit and, you know, that we need to embrace the feminine. And I feel like, you know, the masculine gets a little lost in that. And I think if we don't take care of the masculine, then the feminine suffers too. So I'd be interested to hear like, you know, your take on this because the way that I see it is that I think a lot of men, men aren't really getting the proper messages to, to be responsible. And I think that's what really has given rise to Jordan Peterson's popularity and, and people like Tom Woods and, and these, these, these men out there that are taking on the responsibility, doing the work and preaching this message of personal responsibility. It's like, holy shit, like who would have ever thought that like personal the message of personal responsibility would be something that young men are clamoring for, that they're yearning for, that they've, there's this deep void inside of them that it's like, yes, like we need that. We haven't got it. Where did it go? It, 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 you know, and, and there's this tendency to think like, okay, well, you know, feminism or I, I need to be a feminist. And as a man, we kind of give up who we truly are to accommodate this other viewpoint because maybe a fear of being judged, fear of being too masculine or too ego or whatever it is, brutish or aggressive. But these qualities are beneficial. It's like, so, you know, like, how can we really like rectify that situation and live in harmony with that, embrace this masculine without overpowering the feminine? And, you know, like, what, what does that look like to you? That's a really good point. Um, a lot of these things, again, go back to belief systems. And uh, again, with reference to ayahuasca, that, that's a really common one that ayahuasca is a feminine spirit. It's, you know, mother ayahuasca. I don't know where that started from. <laughs> you know, we're, the, the way we're working, we, we work with Shpibo people who, in this upper Amazonian basin area, uh, I mean, really in the entire world, although ayahuasca is only worked with here, um, the Shpibo are considered the, the kind of the masters of ayahuasca. Um, even amongst other groups, the, the, the Shpibo have a reverence, which is also interesting because even with that reverence, there's also a fear. A lot of people are afraid of the Shpibo because they look at them as like, you know, brujos or witches because again these things there's a symbiotic relationship with them with respect comes fear with fear also comes respect um but amongst the shpibo who we work with uh from from everyone i've talked to they don't look at it as a feminine spirit 
which really resonates with me. You know, it's not that there's anything wrong with the feminine spirit, but it seems limiting to a degree. You know, this this work is pointing us towards something much greater than one thing. It's it's pointing us towards a wholeness, a completion, which includes everything. So for the Shpibo, they they call ayahuasca uni, uh, and someone who works with uni is called a onaya, one who works with knowledge, one who works with truth. So the Shpibo story of of, of ayahuasca is is that it it encapsulates both the feminine and the masculine, which is interesting because the ayahuasca brew also contains two plants. One plant, and in Spanish they would call it chacruna, is the most common one they use, which contains the, the DMT. They would say it embodies the feminine principle, the feminine spirit. It's this idea that it gives light. It's the dance, you know, very much this yin idea. It's that which does the work, that which dances, that which is able to heal. And the ayahuasca vine is the masculine spirit. It's that which allows the effect to happen. It's that which holds the space. And that when you combine those two plants, the masculine and the feminine, you get uni, or truth, or knowledge, deep wisdom, true wisdom, wisdom beyond one or the other, wisdom beyond the duality. Um, I think a lot, you know, all throughout history, I remember even since a very young age, I, I used to think that it was always like a, a pendulum that would just constantly swing back and forth. And we're always in a state of, of correction, right? We're always trying to learn and to grow. And certainly there's a truth, there's a reality that for a long time, this, this feminine side of things was repressed or perhaps overlooked that sensitivity was overlooked that dance was overlooked in favor of the more masculine principles the strength the clarity the the, the rationality the work ethic um you know even the the burning of the witches you know things like that i mean there's there's no doubt and so, you know, I think what's been happening in the last few decades is, is a natural correction, that pendulum swinging in the other direction, remembering that the, these feminine qualities are very important. Not that they're just important, they're vital. They're essential. The, the, the earth cannot exist without them. And if the earth can't exist without them, humans can't exist. Because, again, there's a symbiotic relationship. I think what we're seeing recently is that pendulum, like it always does, is it begins to swing too far the other direction until it reaches a, a culminating point and then it has to correct itself and begin to swing back the other direction and i think you know it's a microcosm for life it's life is always birthing living dying rebirthing again life is in a constant process of change uh and that's just inherent to how the world is and yes i would agree you know i think we're we're living in a time where we're in a potential danger of also undervaluing the idea of the masculine principle as well. The idea, even these these kind of catchphrases that we hear, like toxic masculinity. Masculinity is no more toxic than femininity. Either one can have a toxic quality. That's not the inherent nature of either. And if we favor one or the other, we lose the balance. And that's the whole idea behind yin and yang, right? Is there's a balance. Um, I see it very much in my work. 
you know, and, and even some of these things have become very unpopular to talk about, even these things like gender, you know, uh, things like sex, that although things can be different, things can be fluid, that certainly people can identify as, as anything, that inherently there are two forces, a masculine and a feminine, and that that's essential to life. And almost that we've, we've become so clever in our way of thinking that we often overlook the obvious. That is how mammals produce, is a masculine and a feminine. When those two, even sexual organs, come together, life is created. And it's essential, and it's essential to honor both of them. Um, and again, it's... You know, this pendulum is a natural thing, and as we swing too far one way, we begin to have to correct the other. Um, and yes, I think it's important, especially for young men, to really begin to understand what it is to be a man. And it's not that every man is the same. You know, every man is an amalgamation of the universe as well. Every woman is as well. But certainly, if we look throughout time, throughout tradition. Again, I think we would be very silly to overlook these archetypical qualities that that masculine force embodies and that the feminine force embodies. I see it even very much with my own work, you know, even the shipibo, how they work. The, the, the male cordanderos and the female cordanderos have different roles, and they're roles that in general suit the archetypical qualities of these energies. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's really important. And, and, and I would agree. I think that's why some of this work, like Jordan Peterson, is really resonating. Because I think a lot of men have been told recently that there is a certain way that they need to be and that it perhaps runs counter to the essence of who they are. I think that's why, you know, for example, I practice jujitsu. Um, Unfortunately, not nearly as much as I'd like in the jungle. Uh, probably the thing I miss the most, but that's blowing up. Martial arts is blowing up predominantly by men, also by women, you know, but yeah, not Meryl Streep. According to her, it's not an art. Um, but that's a huge thing. And I think a huge part of that is a lot of young men, they're finding this is a, this is an avenue that I can channel this energy to in an amazingly beautiful way. You know, they're, they're, again, probably in Meryl Streep's mind, martial arts are bad. They lead to violence. And again, it comes from a lack of understanding. It comes from a lack of understanding of it's actually the exact opposite. The art of being martial, of using force, of training your body, of learning how to fight, it lends to the opposite. It lends to one being peaceful. Because if you know how to use force, you don't have to use force. And you can control when you do use force. Uh, I think we were talking about this the other day, this idea, Jordan Peterson was mentioning it, this, this idea of, you know, this, this quote in the Bible, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Actually, this idea that it's a mistranslation, this idea of, of swordsmen, of warriors, and that those who are warriors, those who know how to wield the sword, but are able to sheathe it, it is those who will inherit the earth. You know, it's those who have trained themselves to the T, that know their body, that know their mind, that know what makes them afraid, who are willing to go into that fear. 
then they're actually able to let that go and they don't have to react from a place of fear, which is where most violence arises from. It comes from fear. It comes from not having done the work ourselves. So we react in the only way we know how to react, which is from a place of fear, from a place of uncertainty, of not knowing what I'm capable of. Anyone who's been to a martial arts class, anyone who's trained, they know the potential of their body and it's vicious. You know, it's the human body is capable of doing really horrible things. But when you're in that environment and you're getting humbled, roll after roll in the mat, you know, year after year, the last thing you want to go do is, is, is be a violent person. You know, that, that humility is ingrained in you. And it, it does. It commands a tremendous amount of respect and it breeds a tremendous amount of power. And not power in an unwieldy way, power in a true caring way, power in a way that I can choose when to use it and when not to use it. I have the ability to sheathe it when I choose. <laughs> Man, this has been an awesome podcast. Uh, I have to say, like, I, I feel like I could talk to you for like eight hours. Like, this, is, this has been great. Um, throughout the podcast, you've been mentioning tobacco. And I started off the podcast kind of fumbling around to describe what it is that you are in this tradition of, of tobacco. And some people might be listening to this and thinking, tobacco? Well, what the hell is this guy talking about? I'm with him with all this stuff, but what, what, what is this tobacco? And I think it's, this is a good opportunity maybe to dive into that, you know, switch gears a little bit and talk about this medicine, this master plant. There's a lot of misconceptions out there, right? And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I found really interesting was when I first came here, that the use of mapacho was uh, so um, prevalent in in ceremony, ceremonial use of tobacco, and what it means, and and how it's used, and setting an intention, working with it, and how it can help you, how it can calm you in ceremony if you're going through a difficult time. The the blowing of the smoke and the souplar, and um, maybe you can uh, just talk a little bit about that because. Uh, it, I think it's a really important topic to to jump on. Maybe starting with sort of this misconception of what tobacco is and why it's been demonized and and what kind of plant it is and 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 how it uh, helps people. Maybe you know what brought you to it. Yeah, the, it's a really interesting subject. Um, again, a lot goes back to beliefs, right? If you were to ask people today, what are their beliefs around tobacco? It's bad. It's evil. Uh, it kills people. Um, If, if, if one is to look traditionally, you know, all throughout the Americas, tobacco uh, pre-arrival of Europeans was considered probably the most sacred plant in all of the Americas. It was systematically traded from the southern tips of Argentina and Chile, Chile all the way to the, the northern tips of Canada. Um, it was used almost as a panacea, as a cure-all, and, and many, many peoples living in the Americas used it as a medicine, and often not even only as a medicine, but as their primary medicine. Even so far that many, many creation myths of these people were built around tobacco. The idea of humanity came from tobacco, or tobacco was the plant that allowed all other plants to come into existence. I think for that reason, when the Europeans came over, they, there was such a use of it, because it was already being used so widely. Um, and immediately the Europeans took to it because they actually experienced the benefits of it. Um, you know, over time, like anything, 
uh, a lot of these medicines have have developed relationships that are perhaps not the best. Things like alcohol or coca, um, marijuana. You know, it's not that any of these are bad. Coca is considered a master plant. You know, if you alter it and you extract just the cocaine and you take it in quantities and you use it all the time, it's, it's there are potential uh, bad effects from it. Obviously. Same thing with marijuana. You know, if you take too much of it, you can have a bad trip. It happens all the time. You can develop a relationship with it that's not healthy. Uh, alcohol. Um, many, many people die of alcohol poisoning, alcohol uh, deaths, you know, cirrhosis of the liver, all sorts of things. And it's the same with tobacco. You know, unfortunately, when we talk about tobacco, what we're really referring to is cigarettes. And cigarettes are very different from tobacco. Um, most cigarettes, they're very, very tightly regulated. Uh, which means they're more or less produced the same way. So your your typical cigarette is 70% what's called reconstituted sheet tobacco. It's often scraps that are used, the stems, the, the lower quality parts of the tobacco plant. They, they will often glue it back together so it looks like a sheet, a, a, a leaf of tobacco, um, and then chop it up. The other 30% is added chemicals. And... You know, I believe there's there's between four and six thousand added chemicals to every cigarette. Those are added chemicals, and when you combust them, I believe it turns into about eight thousand. You know, I could be wrong in the exact numbers, but it's a lot. Um, so every time you're inhaling a cigarette, you're inhaling around eight thousand chemicals, and many of those are known cars carcinogens. They're they're known to cause harm. And again, you know, some people would say, oh, well, that's, that's again an example of this nefarious system, this system that's in place to keep us down. Again, I think the reason they put a lot of those chemicals in the beginning were really good purposes. It was probably to make the tobacco burn more easily, flavor enhancers, preservatives. After a while, there probably were more nefarious reasons to putting additional chemicals in there. Um, so that's one problem. When we talk about tobacco, usually what we're talking about is cigarettes. You know, here in the Amazon, that's where they think tobacco originated from, in the, the highland area of, of, of Peru, Colombia, Ecuador. And tobacco has been used as a medicine by these people um, all over. So, um, there's, there's different varieties of tobacco. And the tobacco that we find throughout most of the world is a variety called Nicotiana tobacum. That's where the word tobacco comes from. Um, and it's also called blonde tobacco or Virginia tobacco. And it has kind of a smoother quality. And that's why a lot is grown for cigarettes, because it, it, you can smoke a lot and be okay. The tobacco that's grown here is called Nicotiana rustica, or wild tobacco, or also mapacho. Mapacho is the cured form that you smoke in a cigarette. Um, and it's much stronger. Like any plant, you can, you can, one of the ways of administering it is smoking. So you'll often see in ayahuasca work, the, 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 the coranderos, the shamans, are smoking tobacco. Because one of the qualities of tobacco is it's, there's very much this idea that it helps to cleanse, it helps to protect, it helps to connect people. Um, it's very much one of the tools that they use to actually cure. Um, Many people in the Amazon they'll make a they'll make a powder of it, which they call rape or hape. It's like a snuff, and they'll actually administer it through a tube and shoot it up people's noses. It's another way of administering it. 
Uh, there's paste that are made, like what you're using. It's called Ambiol, and it's a paste that they boil down, and you can apply it to the gums. You could chew tobacco. Um, but the most potent way of working with any plant, much like ayahuasca, is you ingest it, and you would ingest it in a liquid form that's been specially prepared. And like, like any of these master plants, tobacco is viewed as a plant that has a tremendous ability to, to both heal the body on a physical level, but also to teach so that we actually learn from it. And that's the same with ayahuasca. Ayahuasca has the ability to, to cure us on a physical level, to, to cure specific ailments physically, but also psychological ailments. Um, and that it also teaches us. It teaches us its medicine. Uh, and this is the way tobacco is used when it's drunk. It's used to to open us, to cleanse us. It's a very, very strong purgative, so it's a very strong cleanser of the body. It's a very strong cleanser of the blood. Um, if, if you want to talk more on an energetic level, which sometimes that doesn't resonate with people, but maybe even the uh, kind of, when you think of traditional Chinese medicine and this idea of meridians in the body, opening up these energetic channels so that uh, things flow again, that the natural balance of life is restored to us. Um, and then as a teacher, ayahuasca often very much teaches through an altered state of consciousness, very much visual or introspective or, um, just seeing things in a different way, the way, and again, uh, you know, that, that can often be described perhaps in a more feminine way, this kind of dance, this ethereal way of teaching. Often the way you hear tobacco is described is more of this masculine aspect. It's not because it is masculine. It's, it's more because of the way that it's, it's, it works. And so its teaching is very direct and clear. And it's very much like that state right before you fall asleep, where you're kind of half awake, half asleep. Um, and, and it's very much teaching through this kind of lucid dream state. And in that way, it has a tremendous ability to teach. So very much like with ayahuasca, you have, uh, ayahuasca is considered a plant teacher. And here in the Amazon, you have what are called ayahuasqueros. So they're curanderos, they're healers who use ayahuasca to cure. You also have that with tobacco. You have people who use tobacco to cure. So they would be called a tabacero. Uh, you have other very strong teacher plants, like a, another really common one is Chiriksanango, a very strong teacher plant. So someone who works with that to cure would be called a Sanangero. So it's, it's, it's Coranderos who specialize in, in a particular plant in order to heal. And it's usually one of, of like a handful or you know maybe at most a dozen plants that are considered these master plants, these teacher plants that, that have a tremendous ability to heal. And yes, even within ayahuasca, the, the, the use of ayahuasca, the ritualistic use of ayahuasca often incorporates tobacco, the working of tobacco. It's very much a tool of the Corandero. And it's one of their main tools. Um, often you would, you would hear the, the quality of ayahuasca is that which opens up one's vision to be able to really see. And that the quality of tobacco is, is finding the power to be able to cure. So every plant has its unique char characteristics. Uh, but certainly here in the Amazon, tobacco is considered not only a master plant, but one of the master plants, and for many people, the master plant, the, the plant that really 
above all, has a tremendous power to, to both heal, heal ourselves on a physical level and, and, and connect us to something much greater. Yeah. Um, you guys might have heard a little background noise there. Obviously, we're, we're in the jungle. You guys know I'm on the road here and uh, sitting in this uh, little common room space in, in this nice little hotel. But uh, people are living their lives and, and doing their thing. Um, hopefully, that wasn't too much of a, of a distraction. I, I didn't get too much there in the years. But anyway, great. Um, that was great. And you know, I'd love to do another episode with you and maybe even dive fully in. I think there's so much to explore with tobacco and just your knowledge of plant medicines and um, different kinds of healing modalities that are that are you know that you're working with here and all the things that you mentioned. Um, the Ambiel and uh, uh, Ape, Morandi, as we learned it was called in the Colombian tradition. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, there's, there's so much to explore in this area. And um, I just, I, I thank you, man, for, for, for coming here and, and hanging out with me and chatting with, uh, with, uh, with me and my, my audience here. I, I feel like this is going to be a, a, a favorite episode of a lot of people. Um, where can where can people go to find out more about the work that you're doing, and you know maybe even taking a further look into into tobacco? I know the temple is starting to offer some some programs, so you know tell people where they can go, where they can where they can find out about this stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, so I guess just to preface it, uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't blindly encourage people to work with these plants because they are tremendously powerful and and they command a lot of respect and. And again, we've been talking a lot about this idea of symbiotic relationships and, you know, that desire, I don't like the word should be there, but if it's not there, these experiences can be very difficult. They're difficult enough in and of themselves. If that desire isn't there, uh, you know, people are probably just going to run away. It's going to be too much. You know, that desire for change, that willingness to go into to the darkness needs to be there. And if it is, these Plants have a, a tremendous power, a, a tremendous ability to to heal. Um, so yeah, uh, you know these are these are two of the big ones: ayahuasca, tobacco, um, a lot of other plants. You know the the traditional way that people learn here in the jungle is through a process of dieting to do a, to do a dieta in Spanish, and it's basically this process of going into isolation for long periods of time, really restricting your food. Um, so that your body kind of weakens, but that in a sense your spirit is quite open, and it, and you would only ingest one plant, and then through these weeks or months you're working with it, you would really begin to learn from that plant and to heal from it. Um, so you know, obviously I, I'm I'm partial to, to to my own work and and to 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 where I work. I mean, but that's also why I work there is because I feel really good about the work that's being done there, and that's really important because this work. It has a tremendous healing potential, but if it's not worked with in a way that's, that's, that's safe, if it's not worked with by someone who really knows what they're doing, who's really done the work on themselves, and who's, who's done this work on other people, um, it can. It can be dangerous, and not just physically, but even psychologically, because we're really opening ourselves up here. It's, it's very much, we often use the, the analogy of a heart surgeon. You know, you wouldn't just go to any random Joe to, to have heart surgery. Like, you want to make sure the guy knows what he's doing. Um, so, you know, luckily, that, that's that's probably how you find found the temple, and and there's really good work being done there. So, 
Um, I have a website myself. It's called nicotianarustica.org. Again, that's that's the scientific name of, of Mapacho, so it's probably pretty easy to Google, Nicotiana Rustica, all one word, .org. And uh, where I'm doing most of my work right now is at the Temple of the Way of the Light, um, and that's templeofthewayoflight.org. Uh, maybe you'll put a link to them on your show. Um, but yeah, the, the work that's offered is, is uh, different periods of ayahuasca workshops, ceremonial workshops of nine days, 12 days, uh, 23 day. Um, and then also working with plants uh, for dieting. And often one of the, the main ones you would start with would be tobacco. Um, and then from there, moving on to other plants that have tremendous healing properties too. So yeah, if anyone is, is, has a curiosity, you know, do your research. Absolutely look at both those sites because there, there's a lot of information there. Um, and really choose wisely. And it's important to, to, to also pick a place that you feel really comfortable with because that, that set and setting is, is hugely important. And um, yeah, man, you know, likewise, it's been, been good talking to you. And, uh, you know, you're also doing this work, you know, by doing things like podcasts and putting it out there, it's, it's putting one foot in front of the next and it's, it's taking responsibility. And there is, there, there's, a, there's a tremendous power in that. And there's also the reverse, right? There's that responsibility, which can weigh on you. You know, there is a responsibility with that. But it just comes through doing it. And the more you do it, the, the more things grow. Uh, you know, if, if you have a little plant and you, you give it water and you give it light, it's going to grow and it's going to flourish. And then it becomes a tree and people can eat the fruit and the fruit gives off more seeds. So very much, you know, this is, I think this is how the world is changing. And it's, it's super powerful. Even just one little show really can have a ripple effect. It's, it's really amazing. So yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, anytime I'd, I'd love to do it again. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, go check out the, those websites and everything. And, and please, like Jason said, I mean, just to his point, and you, go, you guys know how I stress this all the time. I mean, if you like the show, if you like what you're getting here, just share it, just talk about it, spread it, you know, spread the word. That's, that's how we kind of move forward with this. Any predictions uh, for uh, the European Champions League and the World Cup? You got any favorites uh, lined up? Any teams you like? Oh, our team US is out, so that's uh, a no-go there. We're in Peru, so I think I have to root for Peru. Uh, Champions League, my team Barca went out in a bad way, so I'm just, I don't know if I'll, I'll even be watching, but yeah. Maybe I have to go with Roma because they, they eliminated Barca, so they, they played well. So yeah, I'll be rooting for them. Awesome. Yeah, well, thanks again, Jason, and, uh, and thank you all so much for listening. And uh, stay tuned. We got a lot of good podcasts coming out. Um, got a couple interviews from, from the jungle, and I'm done with my residency program. I'm out of here, so I'm going to start recapping my experience. I know you guys are going to want to hear all about that. It may even be like a four-part uh, a four-part segment. Uh, like I did last time. But thank you all. I love you all so much. And um, yeah, we'll talk next time. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. You know what to do if you love this show. Share it, like it, spread it with your friends. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a neighbor, tell a coworker. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Mike Brank. You can donate as little as a dollar a month. Or you could go on iTunes and leave me a nice five-star rating and review. Whatever you do, thank you for listening. Much love to you all. Peace.